Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we are so pleased that you joined us today on this episode of the podcast for Our Resolute Hope. John Russin here, my partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. And man, it's great to hear your voice today. It really is. I know things have been kind of hectic for you recently. Well, when we talk about suffering and walking in a world we weren't designed to live in, I, I think Father has me on a path to a graduate degree sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if we can sit in our barca loungers and <laughs> sip a cool drink and talk about suffering, but that's just not the way things seem to work out sometimes. Well, friends, uh, if you haven't already guessed it, if this is the first time you've tuned in, Frank and I are in the middle of a long series on suffering, and we've been focusing for the past several episodes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and how he increased in wisdom and stature. That's from Luke chapter 2. And that word increased is the Greek word prokopto. And it pictures lengthening and shaping by hammering. And his father God was very busy in the life of our Savior, of Jesus the boy, Jesus the man, to hammer and stretch him into the right shape so he could be perfectly suited to be our Messiah. And we talked about that last time, and he taught us how to fully trust our Father. He showed us how in the midst of suffering, he could become a perfect reflection of his Father, no matter what the circumstances were. You could see the Father in Jesus, and that he became through his suffering and through his stretching, a sympathetic intercessor. And then we wrapped up, Frank, with the truth that his life in us will accomplish the very same things in us and through us if we'll just do what Jesus did in Gethsemane, say, yes, sir, not my will, but yours. And we agree and consent and cooperate with them. Wow. Mm -hmm. But today, my friend, I want to pick up a different verse, sort of pick up where we left off last time. And I want to talk about the end result of Jesus being shaped, hammered, and matured. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. The writer says, having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation. So I've got to stop right there, Frank, because the translation I'm looking at implies that Jesus had to be perfected. Maybe he wasn't perfect, when he showed up. So I thought he was God, Frank. So help me out mm -hmm. here. How can he not be perfect? What does this mean? You know, John, he was perfect in his nature as God, because God is perfect. But in the incarnation, he became man. And that's only part of the story. In becoming man, he assumed a role and that role was a role that no other man ever played, ever will play, 
because no man could ever play that role. And that is the role of Messiah. And so as man, he showed up, but he had to be fitted. He had to be molded. He had to be shaped so that he could fulfill that role, which meant he had to walk in dependence. He had to, as Luke chapter 2 says it, he had to mature. He had to learn, Hebrews 5, to listen to the voice of his father. And so, well, you hate to talk like this, John, but he was perfect as God, but his becoming Messiah functioning as man was a process in oh, a very real way. Yes, indeed. And so, being the word geek that I am, I did a deeper dive into that phrase, having been perfected. And it turns out that that word that's translated perfected is teleao. I think that's how that's pronounced. And it, surprisingly, it occurs nine times in Hebrews. I found that fascinating. That when you're talking about our sympathetic high priest, which Hebrews does a lot, that word perfected shows up a lot. But Frank, it doesn't mean that there were some errors in Jesus that had to be mm -hmm. corrected. It no, doesn't no. mean he showed up with flaws and they had to be sanded out, so to speak, to make mm -hmm. him smoother. That word means to be completed, mm. uh, to be fulfilled. Uh, mm -hmm. Another translation is to be brought to the full and complete end. And another translator said it means to add everything that's necessary to make something completely full. So that's mm -hmm. a very different picture uh, mm -hmm. than what the word perfected might imply just at first glance. It fits, Frank, really closely with what you just described about his maturation process. And a couple of episodes ago, you mentioned the example of a sculptor carving a masterpiece, but starting out with a single block of marble and basically cutting out everything that wasn't the masterpiece. So unpack that again a little more for us. Well, it was a, a great artist. I don't remember the name, but he said he saw in the marble the statue that was there, and he just had to remove all that which was preventing the eyes from beholding the statue that he he saw within the marble. You know, it's interesting, John, this is all part of why Jesus became our sympathetic high priest. That's such a key word, not just our high priest, but sympathetic, somebody who gets us. Part of that process, I hate to use that term, part of that shaping, allowing his messiahship role to be brought to fruition, maybe the best way to say it, was he had to know what it was like to be tempted. He had to know what it was like to be betrayed, deceived, know what it was like to hurt, to go hungry. All of that was all in the works of making him our sympathetic high priest yeah. so that he could fulfill the role of Messiah to each and every one of us. It's different for every one of us, John, 
but because of who he is and what he went through, he gets every one of us. There's not a one of us that can say to him, but Lord Jesus, you don't understand. No one can say that, John. Yeah, no one can say that at all. And so I'm not one who really adds my own translation to scripture, but I've got to add a thought here that I think would really make Hebrews 5, 9 a little more clear. Having been perfected in my mind becomes he was made totally and completely suited to the task mm. at hand. When I read that, mm. I say, wow, this puts my suffering in such a totally different perspective. I am being shaped to be perfectly suited for the purpose God has for me. And the older I get, the more I realize that he's got more purposes for me. And so my shaping, you know, I kind of wish he'd stop, but the shaping still continues. My mind runs to a, a time some years ago, my daughter was living in Houston. She and her husband had bought a house and their shrubberies in the front yard were crepe myrtle trees, but they were butchered. They were cut flat across the top. They looked ugly. We plant people call that crepe murder. And so <laughs> these trees hadn't these trees hadn't been maintained. And so they had all these crazy, ugly sprouts everywhere. And I said, baby, let me take a hand at that. So after several hours, I dove into those crepe myrtle trees and I pruned and I snipped and I shaped. So at the end, those butchered messes looked just like the fountains that crepe myrtle trees were supposed to look like. And my daughter came out and said, Dad, that's amazing. How did you do it? And I said, well, baby, I just cut out everything that didn't look like a fountain. Hmm. And, you know, that's the picture. That's what Father's doing in our lives as he prunes us, you know, John 15, so we bear more fruit. As he works in and through the sufferings he allows to make us the perfectly suited vessels for what he has for us to do. So mm. it's pretty amazing. I know we're perfect. We're righteous in Christ. Our identities are. But you know, we are not yet perfectly suited for the tasks Father has for us. And that's where suffering plays an irreplaceable role. Wow. Mm. Yeah, John, you know, it's interesting when you mentioned that word teleo, to the end, you know, completed, perfected, and mentioned all those times in Hebrews. Uh, one of them is in Hebrews 10, 14, where he says, by one offering, there it is, he has teleo perfected for all time those who are, and the New American Standard says, perfected. And so he is perfected forever, those who are perfected. But the New American Standard really messed up there, John. They failed to translate the word as the Greek word is written in the Koine. It's being sanctified. It's a passive present participle. So when you tie that to what you just said, and by the way, it's interesting, he changed the word. It's not teleio, it's hagiosmenos, from which we get saint or sanctified, which literally means set apart. 
which has two aspects to it, set apart from the world, set apart unto God. So I'm saying a mouthful here, but let me put it this way. He has perfected us forever. Wonderful. We are those who are being set apart for his purposes. And that's where Philippians 1, 6 comes in. He began this good work. He's going to be faithful to perfect it. He's going to see us become the vessels of life and love, the representations of him, he himself, to the world. And he's faithful to accomplish that. And John, he'll use tough circumstances to pull it off sometimes. Yes, indeed he will. You know, you mentioned passive voice. And if my memory serves, that word from Hebrews 5, 9, having been perfected, is in the passive, mm. which means that Jesus didn't really do anything active to perfect himself, to complete himself. Another outside of him acted upon him to do that. Mm. Put it differently, I guess, it was really Father God who was behind everything in Jesus' life to mm. hammer to shape, to stretch his son so that uh, through everything that he suffered, he would be completely ready to fulfill his role as Messiah. So, mm. you know, it takes us back to our conversation not too long ago from Job chapter one, when father parted the hedge and let the calamity come into Job's life, part of the hedge just a little bit, let a defined amount come in to accomplish his purpose. And that's the very same thing that he's doing in our lives. And if we'll consent and cooperate, we'll have the very same fruit in our lives. Mm. You know, it was interesting, John, while you were sharing that, I had a word in my mind and it was, yes, the father accomplished that for Jesus. And the word in my mind was, yet he had to cooperate with it. Yes. And then you brought it out. It's to consent and cooperate with what he's doing. When Father parts that hedge and allows into our life that which is best for us, it may not look or feel best. It may not look or feel good. And one of the things I think that we as believers have to realize is that God's definition of goodness is very different from ours. We tend to think that his goodness is that he will protect us from all calamity. No, his goodness means he will allow calamity because he has a greater purpose, a greater goodness that he wants to see actualized in our lives. He wants to see us conformed to his very own image. And John, the key is for us to cooperate with that because, you know, Chuck Solomon used to say, when a trial comes into your life, it'll make you either bitter or better, depending on your response to that which God has allowed. Yeah. I think of Jonah. <laughs> oh, there's a great example. Great example. I think of Jonah, you know, somebody who basically says, nope, not thy will, but mine be done. <laughs> he no. tried that path. It didn't work out. He found himself in the belly of a fish and spit out on the shore. And, you know, sadly, Frank, the book ends with his bitterness still right there on the pages of Scripture. We have no idea whatever happened to him. 
But I think the lesson is there. When we push back and we refuse to consent and cooperate, that is a picture of where we might wind up. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when Paul says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for you. To be honest, my first reaction when some calamity happens in my life is not, thank you, Father. Mm-hmm. I trust that what you're doing here is for my good. What do we do next? Mm-hmm. That's really not my first reaction no. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you know, unless we go through enough circumstances where we struggle and have calamity and suffer, it'll never be our first reaction. But Father wants it to be. And he'll work through those circumstances to mature us Mm -hmm. as his children and shape us just as he did with Jesus. You know, Frank, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about this and my mind runs to, I don't know how many lists of things I've seen over the decades of what to do to mature as a Christian. Pray, give, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things you have to do. But to mature as a Christian You just need one thing, that is to do exactly what Jesus did, to listen under his Father's voice Mm -hmm. and to say, yes, sir, Mm -hmm. not my will, but yours. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's not that those things on that list are bad. They're not. They're great things. But they're really best positioned as the fruit Mm -hmm. of our maturity. Mm -hmm. What comes from us as we are learning to listen under our Father's voice Instead of a list, a checklist, we've got to complete and say, well, I did all 10 things. I must be mature now. Wow. So many of our fellow saints just, they don't understand this, Frank. And uh, it, it's I see the suffering they have in their lives because of it. And it's really very sad. Hmm. You know, John, that's a huge, huge misconception. I think maybe we spend a minute or two just addressing it. I recently put a post up on Christian maturity. And what fostered it is I come in contact with people and they fall into some sin or or they struggle with what's happening to them. And then they voice something like this. I've been a Christian for a long time. I should be more mature by now. And that is a gross misrepresentation of what the New Testament teaches. Maturity is not an issue of time. It's instantaneous at the moment of abiding. When you are abiding in Christ, uh, you have all of his life flowing through you in that moment of faith. So his fruit, the fruit of his life is always manifest in the expression of his person. So the moment of abiding, you're going to have the love, joy, peace, patience, endless meekness, kindness, self-control, all that is his life flowing through you until you make a choice to say, you know what, I'm going to get life out of that job over there. I'm going to get life out of my spouse. You still have the fullness of his life. That faucet never turns off. You've just taken your cup to another source. So maturity is instantaneous, John. And, and, you know, that's why we see new believers just so excited because they don't know anything but Jesus. The great danger for us is we learn a lot of other things that we can rely on. And, you know, that's where suffering comes in. It's like that pruning of that crepe myrtle you mentioned. Suffering tends to strip away 
all of those counterfeit sources of life that don't promise what they offer. And they force us back to him who alone is our true life source. Yes, indeed. Frank, there's one more verse I want us to talk about as we wrap up today. And uh, it sort of is a package verse as I look at it because it wraps up all the kind of approaches that I think our Father uses in our lives to train us up. And that's Hebrews 12, 6. And there are two phrases in that verse. The first one I like a lot. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And this discipline means uh, to train up a child. So when I think of this, I think of a dad teaching a child how to saw a board or lay a brick or, you know, do something around the house, training in a positive, friendly, warm way. And, you know, I like that. I like to walk arm in arm with my father and he just shares stuff with me. He gives me his thoughts and I go, wow, that's amazing. And I try to tell him how we can improve on that thought. He just sort of laughs and, uh, you know, we have a great time together. But there's a second part to that verse, my friend. And it says this, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And Hmm. that chastise word means to scourge. Literally, it means to beat with the whip. And Hmm. so I know that sometimes we have wonderful walks with our father and he teaches us and shares us and enlightens us. And we just go, wow, that's amazing. But sometimes... God allows affliction into our lives to shape us so we fit the purpose he has established for us. Mm. And unfortunately, sometimes those afflictions can feel like we're being beaten by a Mm. whip. But no matter how it feels, the circumstances are being guided by our loving Father who has one purpose in mind, fueled by love, supported by compassion, He works in us to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. so even though it doesn't feel like good, like you mentioned earlier, everything that happens, he can use for our good. So, wow. With that, my friend, that's kind of my last thought on this. I'm overwhelmed, frankly. (laughs) So wrap us up on our conversation with Jesus and suffering and the fruit in his life. You know, John... As I was listening to, it's really twofold, is the one receiving the discipline can often find it hard to perceive that love is behind it. It doesn't feel good. In fact, there are many, many children who I've just personally watched saying, I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. I love you, mommy. Please don't spank me. Please don't spank me. And then they get a spanking and they go, I don't like you, mom and dad. (laughs) So it's hard. Uh, We And again, this comes back to what we said earlier. Uh, We've got to get a better definition of what it means when we say God is good. It doesn't mean, you know, he's this Mr. Rogers that's just going to take you through Disneyland. He's going to do what's best for you. And so that's one perception. But the other perception is the side of the one doing the discipline. And John, when I was listening to you, I had recollections in my own heart with my own children where I was going to have to discipline them. And I would say to my father, Lord, I don't want to do this. And yet I knew that if I had the best interests of my child at hand, 
I not only needed to, I had to, because I had a greater agenda, which was to deliver them from the foolish choices and ultimately from the consequences of those foolish choices. And so I had a love that was willing to risk being misunderstood and even risk being rejected by my children because I love them enough to step into their lives with some very harsh responses to where they were in their life. It was hard, John. And I think as a parent, when we reflect on that, we can see that other side of the coin, just how God's heart must be torn uh, when he has to discipline his kids. He knows it's absolutely best for us. But I got to wonder if that doesn't hurt his heart the way it hurt my heart to discipline my kids. Mm -hmm. Well said, my friend. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's been a really touching and powerful and moving time for both Frank and me to do these deep dives into the life of our Savior. Not only see how, how his suffering and his shaping made him fully equipped to be Messiah, but how the same path is ours to follow too. And so join us next time because we're going to continue our conversation. But in the meantime, please check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of different resources there to help you along your path. Follow us on our social media platforms. We've got Facebook, Instagram, a, a growing YouTube channel. And as always, we close with the same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6. you find that in verse 19, that no matter what you're facing in this world, where you are, what you've done, how many times you've done it, where you find yourselves, we have a hope, an anchor for our souls. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.